Everybody, it's Mike and Kenton. Kenton is back. It's the good news and bad news. Kenton is back. <laughs> and Kenton is back. That's right. Refreshed, energized, still it, wearing some outdated Tommy Bahama style shirts. Oh. We, it is Tuesday morning, election day. We are excited to see uh, what God will be doing in our uh, society. We prayed this weekend in our services uh, for that. And um, as God's people, we don't trust in the political process, but we certainly feel the responsibility to participate. So uh, whenever you hear this, would you just take a moment to pray uh, for our leaders and uh, ask God's blessing and sovereignty over them? Because that's the people we are. That is the people we are. And uh, the people we want to be and grow into being uh, really were captured this weekend by the story of the Good Samaritan. And there are lots of surprises and twists and turns in that story. Uh, if, if you didn't happen to catch the message, please listen to it. Because I think there's a there, that we've made it about roadside service, being nice to people who break down alongside of the road. And Jesus doesn't let us off that easy. He does something far more radical. So, Kent, tell me a little bit about how it went up in Irvine. What surprised you? What, what piece really captured you? And then was there anything, if you could spoken for an hour, that you would have covered more? The thing that hits me the hardest is, and I said this in the message, but I wish I had more time to talk about it. In my history growing up, I grew up in a church that would have said absolutely love God and love your neighbors as yourself was the way that you would order the commands. But the way practically they lived it out, it was love God and be right, do right, be separate from. And this parable, the story, reminded me again of the many infections that I have as a person mm-hmm. where it is much easier for me to be issue-based. And, you know, it's not hard, like I said, it's not hard to be gracious if that's all I have to be. And it's not hard <laughs> to be truthful if that's all I have to be. <laughs> but so to good. be both gracious and truthful mm-hmm. is really hard. And, and if I make a mistake, if I'm going to fall off the wagon, I fall off the wagon because of my history in being pure, being issue-based. And I think what this parable or this story shows is that when the issue is going to be the first thing, then that issue is always going to trump compassion. And I'll never be the Good Samaritan because I'm going to be focused on whatever issues out there. I've got to, I'm going to lead hard with truth. And I, I have to hold them both. I understand that I have to hold them both. But I make too many mistakes, even as a pastor and in my personal life, where I immediately lock up and go, well, okay, what's truth? What's the issue? Mm-hmm. Instead of being willing to make the mistake of being loving and getting involved and error on that side. And, you know, that is a profound point. And I, as I taught it, as I studied it, and as even as I watched the church, I think it's easier for us as people then we think to be to be more truth-based and not live with this really healthy tension of what does it mean to order the commands, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And and the implications that he gives in this story, they, you know, they hit me again mm-hmm. right in the face. So and I think they hit the church. There was a holy silence in in many of the applications of Wow, that's what I mean. But at the end, you know, God is doing this great experiment mm-hmm. saying that we are these radical insurgents that can transform society with the love of Jesus Christ and God pulling off this great experiment. Really, I'm going to give you my love and send you into the community and let you be agents of love and see that love can absolutely transform. 
And we get to be a part of this great experiment. And I'm so foolish to believe that it's being right that's going to transform society. And it isn't being right. It's being loving. I think you're, I think you're, um, you're putting words to what a lot of us wrestle with. I think that is that issue of, um, of right and gracious is the pastoral issue. It plays itself out most pertinently uh, with the relationship between the church and the gay community. But we see it everywhere. And I have a couple of thoughts I want to run by you. I mean, there's this sense where Paul in 1 Corinthians um, is going after somebody who is a believer, sinning publicly, blatantly in the church. And he says, almost parenthetically, who am I to judge those outside the church? I judge those inside the church. And it seems like the American church has reversed that a little bit. We have a whole cottage industry in judging those outside the church. But inside, we'll kind of put up with anything. And I like your point because the story in 1 Corinthians, what Paul's saying is – be quick to address issues of sin within your family. That's right. But then the book of Second Corinthians had to be written because they were not quick to forgive and to re-embrace right. the person. And so you see those two errors even in the two books. We're too slow to address real sin in our community and too quick to judge outside. But then we're too slow to forgive and re-embrace people right. as a, right. a family and to be forgiving and to extend that grace. That's right. It's, it's like Paul's almost saying, hey, why don't we expect Christians to act like Christians and non-Christians to act like non-Christians? <laughs> what a novel concept for the Church of Jesus. Billy Graham, um, I want to throw this quote by you and see what you think. Billy Graham um, said, it is the Father's job uh, to uh, judge it is the Spirit's job to convict, and it is my job to love. Mm, yeah. How can you – yeah. I think he gets that right, doesn't he? He does. And, and, and there is this impulse that we wanted to word against this weekend in us, Kenton and Mike, but in the church where we just have to let people know where we stand before we can love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I, and I do feel like I'm so with you. We, we could easily have this conversation for weeks and weeks and weeks exploring all of the – all of the ways this plays out. And this ties into some of the questions we got from people that were really insightful in, in how they were asking. Um, a lady came up to me uh, down in Mission Viejo after the message and just said, well, okay, well, then what about boundaries? Mm. What about boundaries? So I'm called to love these people, whoever these people are, whoever they filled in, this is my neighbor. But, but don't I need to protect myself? And and how far should that love go? I mean, it's, it's, it's a restating almost of of the question of the expert in the law it's who's my neighbor yes and if we grant everybody is well then how what's love look like and at what point am i hurting myself in 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 not having stronger boundaries so how would you answer her well i love the idea of boundaries cloud and townsend wrote a great book titled that that gave me great understanding of it and boundaries is that idea of since i need to be loving what does it mean to love because sometimes I can do what I believe is loving and yet it's destructive and it's hurtful for the other person. Boundaries do two things. They protect me from being hurt in an inappropriate way, but it protects me from hurting someone. And uh, and so and that's that whole idea of codependent. But if we take the idea of me uh, being protected, mm-hmm. um, usually that 
idea is, okay, I need to not let someone hurt me over and over again. So if someone hits me or I'm in an abusive relationship, I forgive them. But I, you don't stay in that relationship. Jesus doesn't call you to be hit over and over again or to be hurt over and over again. That's the idea of boundary. But it doesn't mean that I don't forgive, I don't love, and I don't release that person uh, from my bitterness and anger inside to hold myself hostage. And I think that – I really think Cloud and Townsend do a great job on that. I think one of the things that you're saying that I think is really insightful is the sense that uh, love doesn't mean nice all the time. Love doesn't mean – love to love in the way that God loves is to will the good of another. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't know what that good is or what that good should be. And the idea of boundaries is the idea that love can be expressed a number of different ways. I don't have to be a doormat in order to show love. I don't have to be a pushover in order to show love. I don't have to be totally controlling in order to show love. And so, right. and I don't treat people right. And it, so, my kids, when they were young, I want candy. And then I don't give them candy and they go, I hate you. Well, <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean I'm not loving them at that That's point. Right. And so, right. when people, even as adults, come at that and say, you're not giving me what I want, so I hate you, or you're not loving me. That's not true. You know, that's just simply not true. That's right. And there is an interesting dynamic because, you know, when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and going the extra mile, there is a part of that that's showing radical love and compassion and generosity even to our enemies. But there's also a part of that that's really for us. And this is the the thing you were, the second thing I heard from you that that was really good forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for us. When you forgive, someone gets set free and you find out it's you, that you are the one who doesn't have to be bound. I was talking to a, um, a guy in the military who out of this message was saying, I've got guys, he served in Iraq and all these people are shooting at him and he hates them. I mean, he hates them. They're blowing up his friends. Uh, and, and the issue is, well, what do I do with this? What right. do I do with this teaching? And we had a great conversation um, about what it means to love and forgive, even in the middle of a scenario like that, because it's not for the other, it's for you. Right, because the core idea of forgiveness is release. That's it exactly is right. And in Hebrew, just your minor Hebrew point for the day, the word, uh, the word to forgive and the word to dance are similar words. There you go. Giddy up. Okay. All right, one other question. Uh, Kenton's message this week made me ponder whether I was a good Samaritan or a priest and Levite. And the answer is always, we're both. Um, I try to do my part in helping the needy through donations and offerings at church. However, I'm conflicted when I see a panhandler asking for money. On the one hand, I know that I should help the poor, but my skepticism gets the best of me. I end up looking the other way. How should I approach these situations in public when I'm confronted with giving money to the poor? Uh, My wife has taught me how to manage this. I mean, first Mm. of all, we give strategically. Uh, We give through our, you know, through Mariners to absolutely wonderful strategic ministries that bless the poor and needy. And and that's where the large sum of our money goes. But I had that same issue. I'd always see people on the street. And, you know, I know that statistically any money you're giving them is going to go to um, to drugs, sadly, a lot of time or to drink. But Lori taught me something. I mean, Lori does two things. One is, and now I do this, she never walks by somebody. She gives them the change in her purse. Uh, She doesn't give a lot of money, but she always gives something Mm -hmm. because she doesn't want to be a person that becomes hard-hearted. It's more about who, what kind of person that she wants to be. So she always gives. 
And I've learned to do that. So I always give. I don't give a lot to those people, but I'm always giving something to them. The second thing that she does is she actually carries around with her food coupons or food you know, things, mm-hmm. you, I guess you can get them mm-hmm. at a supermarket where you can redeem it. Now, still, they can redeem it for liquor, and she understands that. But at least it gives them a shot, and she gives that. But for me, what's been helpful in that is I don't have to turn the other way. I don't have to pretend that I don't see them. I walk up. I smile at them. I always have some change in my pocket. I can always give a dollar. I can always give change. And over the lifetime, you know, I don't know how many that I'll see, but that's not an exorbitant amount of money. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing what's strategic, but I, anybody I come across, I'm loving. I think that I I would have answered it exactly the same way. Then you're a genius. Well, (laughs) which means together, two geniuses make a geni. As selfish, as horrible as this sounds, um, the reason I would give money to somebody panhandling isn't for them. Because if I make them the issue, well, what they're going to do with it and who they are and right. where it's going to go, then absolutely I, f- I clench and I flinch and I just say forget it. But if I make me the issue, I know how tight-fisted I can be uh, and ungenerous and non-compassionate as I can be uh, – that I can be. And so there's this sense that I, I, I need to, to look. I think, I think meeting their eyes – um, a few people that I've talked to have said that, that isolation and loneliness is really the true poverty it is. Uh, when you're poor. And so to just have somebody see you. Uh, and so I think that's a brilliant answer. I won't add to it except to say it's brilliant. <laughs> All right, last question. And this one, this one is phenomenal because it will lead to many other conversations I think that we'll have in the future. Question is, how do I reset on my expectations of God after experiencing a brutal past two years? Or said more exhaustively, without much awareness on my part, I've spent the last two and a half decades building a faith in God that closely resembles the American dream, as explained by Mike's book, Jesus of Suburbia, book plug. Now that I've experienced a failed business, lost all my finances, savings, and retirement, have no job, no prospects uh, in sight, I'm 45-year-old, still single, and I feel forgotten by God. I'm very aware that I need to reset my expectations of God, but embarrassingly, I don't know what to reset them to. I'm so glad you would ask this question because I think you speak for a lot of us that are out there. That question, what I love about it and want to affirm this uh, person for is the idea of resetting expectations is really the greatest opportunity of life. If he, if you would have gone through your whole life and held, because you were able, hold on to a false sense of God and the American dream, that's a waste of a whole life. That's a life of regret. And while I can only imagine how painful it is to be mm-hmm. where you are right now and to lose everything and it is a fearful place at the same time you have the opportunity of a lifetime to do just as you say to reset and to reset is to see god as he really is and to see jesus for who he really is and to understand grace for what it really is and to live a life dependent and surrendered to god and a life that has so much more meaning and significance so where you are and asking the right question is I think 80% of the journey being willing to embrace that. But it isn't going to make it easy from this point on because you've spent a long time thinking wrongly. And that takes some time to undo because we groove those kinds of thinking tracks in our Mm -hmm. mind. So we have this idea that, okay, God, if I do this, then you have to do this for me. And you have to totally rework this idea of grace 
that's a very that's a that's a long journey. So you know, simply it is to I think look at who Jesus is, embrace grace every day, takes off your dancing shoes and your performance issues, thinking, God, it's what I do. It's what I do in every day to say, to start off every day. God, today is not about what I do. It's what you're doing in me. And I want to embrace this journey. I want to embrace grace is, I think, the biggest thing you can do on a daily basis. And this is what we're talking about this next week. That's right. The American dream is a lie. There is no biblical authority given to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It shocks people to find that out. I have a bunch to say. Kenton said it great, but let's start or do part two on this question next week because I think it is. I think it really strikes at something profound. And it's what we talk about this weekend. And we talk about it this weekend. Blessings upon all of you and your households. May the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.